series is Trust and Betrayal, and the title of this morning's message is Back from Betrayal, Learning to Trust Again. Back from Betrayal, Learning to Trust Again. Betrayal. I'm not going to do anything silly like ask how many of you have ever been betrayed because I don't want to see everyone throwing up both hands and feet. I don't want anyone to run out the door. I don't want anybody to, to, to shout out because I know that betrayal is a common element in human experience. And, oh, let's, let's just look at a couple of hypothetical cases. Let's say, say take the case of, of, say, a woman maybe named Veronica who uh, has helped her husband to work his way through medical school. She's sacrificed and, uh, and, and borne the financial burden of the household and cared for the kids so that he could get that higher education, that he could get that MD and he could find that career. And so he finally graduates. She is, she's worked and, and, and taken care of the kids. And he finally he's got to the place where he's gone through his, his internship, his residency, and now he has set up his own Practice only to divorce her for some young nurse that he meets in his practice that he hires. Betrayal. No doubt that somebody like that would would feel betrayed and angry and probably feel as though they could never love again. Oh, let's say we have a man, let's call him Michael. Age, I'll give you a good round number, 55 that say has worked for the same company for some 20 years or more, maybe 25 years, and finds himself mid-career fired, and, and the promotion that he thought would have come to him, that he thought he had earned, has now been given to a younger co-worker, and he's been pushed out the door. And now this person sits at home basically watching reality TV, living on unemployment, and Jack Daniels. Betrayal. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. Betrayal is so common in human experience. It is so commonplace around us that we could refer to this as what we would call the Benedict Arnold syndrome. And you'll hear me reference that several times in the course of this series. The Benedict Arnold syndrome. And I know we know a little bit about Benedict Arnold just because growing up as a kid, if you cheat on somebody or if you... you, basically uh, betray somebody, you are called a what? Benedict Arnold. A lot of us don't know much about the history, but we know that there's this guy somewhere back in American history named Benedict Arnold that seems to be the poster child for betrayal. Benedict Arnold, history.com, will give you a brief synopsis of his life. He lived from 1741 to 1801. He died at the age of 60 in London, England. And he was this early American hero of the, of the Revolutionary War, and he later became one of the most infamous traitors in, the, in U.S. history after he switched sides and fought on behalf of the British during the Revolutionary War. Now, at the beginning of the Revolutionary War, Benedict Arnold was a, a, a very, uh, very successful and, and, uh, and, 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 and loved soldier. He had fought and participated in the, in the capture of the... British garrison of Fort Ticonderoga in 1775, and he uh, had um, 
hindered an invasion of Lake Champlain, Champlain in, in 1776. And uh, he had a lot of successes, but Benedict Arnold has some stuff in his heart that tended to interfere with him in the long run because after some of his military victories and successes, he felt as though he never, re he never received the recognition that he deserved. And so in 1779, he secretly negotiated with the British to uh, turn over the U.S. post as, at West Point in return for money and a command in the British Army. As it turns out, the plot was discovered and the British Major John Andre with whom he had conspired, he was executed while Benedict Arnold escaped over enemy lines to the British. So he became known as a great traitor. And it's interesting because Andre committed suicide, but Benedict Arnold's life probably wasn't that much better afterwards. He relocated to London, thinking that he would have received a warm response from the British because he had tried to help them in the war, but he was coolly received and lived a very unspectacular life in London, dying early at the age of 60. Because the matter of fact is that nobody likes and nobody loves a traitor. Benedict Arnold. We would say he's a bad guy, wouldn't we? We would say he's an evil man. We would say we wouldn't trust somebody like that. Nobody likes a Benedict Arnold, do we? But what if I were to suggest to you this morning that there is a little bit of Benedict Arnold in all of us, in every one of us? It got real quiet in here real quick. <laughs> Just remember the words of Scripture in Romans 3.23. It says this, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin in its essence is ultimately the betrayal of God. It's not about God having betrayed humankind, but it's about humankind having betrayed our Creator. Now in life we are all betrayed in various forms throughout our lives, but if we would be honest, we are more than merely victims. But we are all perpetrators as well. This is not, believe me, to minimize the reality, the literal palpability of the pain that many of us have borne. We've, borne, we've, we've, we've carried the, this weight of betrayal and mistreatment in our lives. And I know that there are a lot of us that have dealt with a lot of pain. And what I'm saying here is not meant to, to mitigate that or to minimize that, but to anchor us on solid ground, to anchor us in reality so that we may find help and find healing because it's the truth that sets us free, not the reality that we cre create for ourselves around our world. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? To become truly free, we need to understand ourselves and we need to understand God and we need to understand the world as it is, not as we cast it in our imagination to be or as we hope it was. In his book, Jesus and Personality Theory, James R. Beck writes this, anyone who has been deceived by a person who reneges on a promise or who simply does not carry through on responsibilities knows how devastating that disappointment can be. We want to trust others, but sometimes that trust is violated. And when it is, the hurt, harm, and long-term consequences are many and extensive. I think we can all resonate with that statement. 
And in all of our lives, we have encouraged, we have incurred rather that kind of betrayal, those kinds of hurts, that kind of pain. Now, here's the challenge we face going forward. Something within us wants to trust. Something within us wants to distrust our excessive distrust. Did you hear me? I think that at our core, though some of us have become suspicious and jaded and cynical, though some of us have closed ourselves off from others because some of us have created our own world and our own reality and our own little kingdom to live safely within and behind the walls of our own little emotional fortress. I think that for most of us, we don't want to become suspicious and cynical. I don't think there's any of us that want to wither away in cynicism. Because God has created us and made us to flourish and to live abundantly and to live in the fullness of his love and of his grace. God has built us to know when to trust, to know when to mistrust, and how to discern the difference. But before we get to that place, we'll need to face some hard truths about reality and about ourselves. Because alongside the reality of the inevitability of betrayal, we still somehow know that it's important to learn to trust again. And for somebody, that's where your healing lies, to learn to trust again, particularly as followers of Jesus, especially because being unable to trust, let me back up, I want you to get this. This is particularly important because the inability to trust others will be directly linked to your inability to trust God. Being unable to trust others can hinder our ability to trust God. And that's why some of us who were messed over as children and some of us who have very basic core issues with with the trustworthiness of our parents, we will struggle in our Christian life and in our spiritual life because we'll tend to be mistrustful of others and we will tend to transfer and extend that to God as well. So this morning, as we begin this journey together, what I want to do is I want to share with you three principles to to begin your journey in in making the way back from betrayal. And so I'm going to give you three things, and we'll go through them, and we'll kind of break a few more things out, and hopefully we'll, we'll gain something this morning that will help us move forward in Jesus' name. And so the first thing we do is this. We take personal ownership. Say that. Take personal ownership. What do we mean by that? Well, first and foremost, in the context in which we're speaking this morning, it means to own the fact that you have been betrayed. Own it. You know what I'm talking about. Because a lot of people would like to live in the realm of denial and, as it is said rather tritely, denial is not just a river in Egypt. But it is a value that many of us, oh, I'm all right. Ain't nothing wrong with me. Oh, I've forgiven everybody of everything they've ever done. I hold nothing against anybody. And I hope that that can be true, and I hope that's the case. But we are to own the fact that we've been betrayed, because in some of our lives, that has been a big part of our story. It has been a factor that has shaped our reality in significant ways. It it has guided our behavior and and, and it it has affected our relationships and it has directed our path and it it has 
set up fears and all kinds of things within our hearts. And so only by squarely facing betrayal's reality do we find the path to wholeness. And so this morning as I speak, I know that the Holy Spirit will enable you to search your hearts. And I know that things will come to the surface as God works in your life that will help you to be real about the fact that somebody in your life betrayed you. That somebody was a traitor in your life. Somebody was unfaithful in your life in some way. And that, that's, it's not a non-issue. It's not something that's, oh, it's cool. It's all good. I got over it a long time ago. Some of us are too glib about that. And, and in a message or two coming up, we'll talk about the fact that true forgiveness cannot come. When we minimize things. True forgiveness cannot come by shoving things under the rug. True forgiveness cannot come that way. There's a verse that popped in my head this week. I was thinking about someone's journey and their healing. And, and I was, what I was afraid of is, I, I, is that they, they didn't have a, an interim kind of fake healing. Now, you know, we talk about faith healing and fake healing. Because there's a verse in the Old Testament where one of the prophets God speaks to him and, and, and I think chides the other problem. I got to look it up, but it's just been, been in my head about they have healed my people lightly. The idea that they had good glowing words that were, that were therapeutic, but they weren't medicinal. They were palliative, but they were not transformational. They, they eased the pain of the moment, but they didn't do away with the real. They didn't, they didn't cut to the core of the issue. And there are a lot of things that we encounter in life. There are a lot of ways in which we, we, we put a little salve over the pain, but we don't deal with it for real. Right. And I'm not talking about acting out any, any crazy kind of way, but at least we can identify and take ownership of our betrayal so that we can put it before Jesus and, and talk it out and pray it out and get with some other people and work it out. That's the path to wholeness. That's the path to wholeness. That's why we need each other. That's why we need God. Now, in the next few weeks, I'm going to, I'm going to refer to, to something called the Joap factor. Yeah, I'm going to explain that to you now, and I'll get into it a little bit more as we go along. Joap, J-O-A-P, it stands for four, it represents four names. Judas, Oedipus, spelled O-E-D-I-P-U-S. And you know about the, the, the myth of Oedipus. Adam and Pharisee. Judas, Oedipus, Adam and Pharisee. Now, Judas is in the Old Testament, I mean rather the New Testament in the Bible, excuse me. Judas is the poster child for betrayal. If you want to call somebody a traitor, a betrayer, you can call them a Judas. We, if we had somebody in our midst that was trying to undermine what we're doing, we'd say we got a Judas among us. And I don't know, it's not too many people name their children Judas anymore. If your name is Judas this morning, we welcome you to Grace Chapel and hope you enjoy the service. It's one of those names that's been placed off limits by the, by the degree to which the character behind the name, the person behind the name is nefarious. Judas, we know about Judas. And it's sad when you study, when you think about him, because whatever was broken in him that led him to, and the Bible says that basically, that's basically Satan entered into him, right? Peter denied the Lord as well, but Peter was able to find grace and forgiveness, and Judas went and hanged himself. But he is, he is, he represents that, that betrayer that really is a part of all of us. Now, let me talk about Oedipus just for a minute, I, I, I'll, I'll kind of 
share a little bit more about how he relates to this subject as we go forward. But, but actually, throughout the centuries, there were certain Christian thinkers who saw a parallelism between the Judas account in the New Testament and the Oedipus uh, story in Greek mythology uh, in the sense that they represented some of the same dynamics. And what happened in the 20th century is that Sigmund Freud, and we're not, we're not uh, co-signing on his worldview and his systems, but he pulled Oedipus back from the, the Greek legends and made Oedipus central, uh, defining the Oedipus complex, uh, particularly with regard to Freud's understanding of the parent-child, parent-child conflict. And, and reduced to its bare essentials, modern psychoanalysis posits that every child favors his, either his mother or his father and develops a hostile feeling towards the unfavored parent. Now, I, I could say that and, and move on to another subject, and you'd be totally confused, because there are many of you that say, I have no hostile feelings toward you. I love both equally. And that is true, and one of the reasons why is because for most of us, in our normal psychosocial development, if we're fairly healthy individuals, by the grace of God, we grow up, and as, as children, we probably tend to have these. I know that I had a preference for my mother over my father as a child, and I know that I had... I was, a, to a degree, I will, what's the word, treacherous in the sense that I, I actually had, un, I had negative, unpleasant thoughts toward my dad, and I gravitated towards my mom, primarily because my mom was with me every day, and my dad was working, thank God, because he had a job and a business, and that's why I could eat and do things like that. It was, those were very important when I was a kid. But as I grew up, through my normal development into my teenage years, I came to, I, I, I grew, I, I, that, that didn't become an issue for me, and I loved both of my parents equally. And you know what, what's more important, as, as I grew into maturity, I was able to see both of my parents, neither one as, as pure saint or sinner, but both as human beings like me, sinners saved by grace, who had their, their wonderful attributes and had their flaws and their failings. And to love them and honor them, not worship them, but honor them and appreciate them and be able to laugh at some stuff, be able to deal with my pain about some stuff, and yet be able to put it behind me and move on. But what happens is, sometimes if if mom is favored, then the child would develop harsh assessments of of dad. If the father is favored, uh, we would develop critical attitudes towards the mother. And either way, as children... Coming up with that complex, it starts to sow seeds of betrayal toward the unfavored parent. If you want to see how graphically and, and, and insanely that works in the Oedipus legend, check it out sometimes. It, it, it is graphically described and it is really telling. But Oedipus, he represents that betrayal on that foundational level in the way that it, it infects family systems and our primary relationships. And it begins at a very early age in very strange ways and sometimes because of, of, of poor psychosocial development and our failure to, to mature properly, it can lead us into some crazy places. And then there's Adam. You say, well, what did he do? Well, Adam along with his wife, Eve, they represent the primal betrayal in the Garden of Eden wherein he and Eve conspire with the serpent over and against the word of God. That's betrayal. The one who's created you has told you, I got you. I got you covered. This is your world. This is your realm. This is your stuff. Do this. Don't do that. Eat this. Don't eat that. Touch this. Don't touch that. And if you do that, all will be well with you. But if you do that, you'll die. 
the serpent comes, you know God is just putting you on, right? God is just jiving with you. Because he knows that in the day that you eat that, that tree, that fruit, your eyes going to open up. You're going to see things as they really is. <laughs> He's just trying to keep you in the dark. And, and it is traitorous and it is treacherous. And it's an act of unfaithfulness. To disobey the word of a faithful God, a benevolent God, a creator God. And to cross over to enemy lines. But that's what Adam did. And then finally, Pharisee, Joab, J-O-A-P. Pharisees in the Gospels represent the tendency towards hypocrisy. The idea of holding others to a higher standard than we hold ourselves to. The idea of nitpicking over details in the lives of other people so that we can control them and so that we can mold them in our image, but putting ourselves above that same process. Joab, these pathologies are in us all. No, we don't all have the same degree of pathology, same disease, milder cases. But remember, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No, we haven't exactly sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. I've never done that. But there may have been a time or two in our lives when we betrayed a friend, a spouse, parent, a brother or a sister for pleasure, for pride, for some other value. We, we may not have rebelled to the same cosmic, cosmic extent as Adam and Eve rebelled, but there is a, re, there is a bent towards rebellion in all of us. Yeah, now you know if you ever tried to lead anything you know that's why it's hard to get people to go the same direction together because there's always one yes. Amen. it's the folks that just because you ask them to do it they ain't gonna do it so talking about going back to this Oedipus issue and, and that's why you know teenagers will, will, this will, it'll get really magnified and they'll really hate one parent and really love, respect one parent or hate both of them for a minute. And then they grow up. They grow out of it. And rebellion is kind of like that. Because that's all a part of it. Because young people have to identify themselves and differentiate themselves. And it's important in their development. They've got to show that they, have the, that they are their own person, that they have their own minds. And so for, for, for kids, for teenagers, you, know, you say, do this and this and they're going to do that. That's why they have their uh, teenagers. I don't, don't, don't hate me. I'm, you know, young adults, you guys are a little beyond that, but I'm going to buy y'all chicken soon, so love me. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, that's a part of a process that's supposed to end. Teenagers, they, they wear their own clothes. They, they talk their own language. They have their own culture. They have their own music. And they say, this is my thing. I'm, I'm an individual. All of them are individuals together. And you know what happens when we, when we as parents, if we were to capitulate to their side, if we start listening to hip hop, they will go to jazz. <laughs> if we start talking like they do, they'll start speaking standard spoken English. Yo, what's up, cuz? Why don't you get up and clean up your room? You know what I'm saying? 
up in here, you know, because if you don't do that, it's going to get turned up in here. I'm going upside your head. You know? <laughs> Father, why are you speaking that way? <laughs> Start going down to the swap meet, getting your clothes, white t-shirts, baggy jeans, baseball caps turned back. 56 years old, 57, 58 years, they would, they would start wearing, they would start wearing uniforms or something. But, and they grow out of that. But, the, but, but for some of us, there's a seed of rebellion because that is, the, that is core to our sinfulness. What is sin other than rebellion against God? And you see the seed of rebellion in, in our families, you see it in our lives, you see it in the fact, in us, in our heart, in me, in you, yes, in me, in you. All of us own it, believe it, because sometimes there's somebody that will tell you the truth, but you won't do it just because somebody told you and you didn't think of it. Somebody will try to lead you in the right way, but you've got to go the other way just because ain't nobody going to tell me what to do, even if it's right. Oh, but when you, let me tell you something, but when you go to the doctor and you need, and you got something wrong with you, and he says, I'm going to have to give you this shot and it's going to hurt, you don't say, well, no, you ain't nobody going to stick a needle in old Charles Williams. You say, okay, doctor. And you sit there and you cry, they stick the needle in you, and you say, oh, that hurt. That's why in the church it's hard to make disciples for Christ because we have folks trying to teach others and folks trying to influence each other, trying to be the community of faith. And just some of us, we are so wired and we're so, we are so, we cling to that rebellious spirit so much that just because past, just because I say it, it's, it's kind of like what I should do is preach the opposite of what I think God wants people to do because then people would do it because they, they would do the right thing because it was that, what, what, no. Pastor Charles said, we should all go out and sin this week. I'm, he ain't going to tell me what to do. I'm going to live holy for Jesus. <laughs> Pastor Charles said, this week we ought to go out and slap somebody upside the head and take their stuff. Oh, he ain't going to tell me what to do. What I'm going to do this week is I'm going to go out and love somebody. And I'm going to treat people real good. Pastor Charles told me to go home and beat my wife. I'm going to go home and love my wife and treat her and, and, and revere her and, and respect her. He told me to go home and kick the dog. I'm going to go home and give the dog one of those dog biscuits that cleans his teeth. Oh. Just because, oh, but, oh, but the joy and the blessing of a teachable spirit to be able to receive from God, to be able to hear from God, to be able to hear God speak. I hear God speak to me in everybody, in every situation, in stuff that humbles me. I don't know it all. I don't presume that I do. And I'm trying to hear God in every nuance of life, in every conversation, in everything I read, everything I hear. And I'm not bent out of shape when somebody tells me something I didn't know. I knew that. No, I didn't. I'm very proud in a positive and godly way to say that at this point in my life, I know less than I did 30 years ago. Less than I thought I knew. Because I find my heart and my mind open to the, to the unsurpassed, ins, unsearchable riches of Christ's love and his knowledge and his word. There's so much there. But that, but, so, you know, it's, we haven't rebelled like Adam and Eve rebelled, but we rebel. Sometimes you wonder why folks act crazy just to act crazy. Because sometimes there's just no good reason to act crazy. Sometimes it, it would just it'd be so easy just for, 
to just to go along and get along. Sometimes it would just be so easy just to, 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 to enjoy. Man, I love, that's why the psalmist says, he says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the best thing ever when people love each other and get along. But, some, but that's a rebellion to people. I just got to break this up. It's just too nice up in here. In our families, there are people, and, in, and on our jobs, and in our community, there are people that just like to start stuff. People like to ins- instigate conflict. People like to just be messy. It comes from that, that, that core of rebellion. It's a part of our sinful nature that needs to be crucified, to the, nailed to the cross in Christ, because Jesus died to free us from that. And we may not have manifested the sickness of the Oedipal complex in a full-blown situation to the destructive extent of someone like adolf hitler if you read adolf hitler's life story you find that man he was a poster child for the oedipus complex really deep resentment for his father because i think his father wanted him to be a clerk but he wanted to be an artist can you imagine adolf hitler the artist what if he had been allowed to pursue that rather that would have been a better thing a bunch of ugly pictures this is a hitler it is, uh-oh, phone's ringing. But, but he, and his father died prematurely, and he had this inordinate love for his mother, who was 23 years his father's junior. And a lot of Hitler's journey and his story has to do with him working out and living out all of the sickness and twistedness of his, of his prepubescent mind and his undealt with issues that in his case, because of the situation, the climate, the time in history, and the context in which he found himself, and his unique blend of strengths and weaknesses resulted in one of the most tremendous reigns of terror in the history of the world. But most of us are nowhere near that. Most of us are nowhere near that. But still, in some way, we favor that parent over the other. We favor that that sibling over the other, we favor that child over the other, we favor that we have all these issues or we have been the brunt of those issues in our family systems. And then finally, no, we're not the nitpicking, quick trick question asking Pharisees that we see in scripture who have one standard for ourselves and, and one standard for somebody else. But let me tell you something, let's be real about it. And I, I know Christian folk, I've been one all my life. And so I am one, so I know them, I'm one of them. And you are too. And let me tell you something, all of us have to deal with our own tendency to, to want to observe the letter of the law and deny the spirit of the law. Yes, to want to write one set, one code for everybody else, but to have a special code and a special and, and a distinct and unique set of rules for ourselves. Pharisees, Pharisees, Pharisees. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And what we'll need to do is we'll, we'll need to, uh, so what we do is we own up to the fact that we as well are a betrayer. That is very key to this going forward because that will rescue us, first of all, from the victim quagmire. It will create in us empathy to realize that since we are all sinners, we all sin and we all have done stuff. And it'll help us to understand that we can dare to trust again. 
But, but C on this list is don't let bitterness become a barrier. Because what will happen is allowing bitterness, or let me put it this way, allowing a bitter experience to make you bitter. You see, you can go through bitter experiences, but they don't have to make you bitter. You can go through bitter trials, but you don't have to become bitter. You can remain pure and sweet in your spirit. If you allow bitter experiences to make you bitter, that will become a, a barrier to your trusting God and to the empowering work that he wants to do in your life through Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you become bitter, you place yourself beyond the reach of the grace and the love of God. And you find yourself in a place because what you need in life and what you will gain in which, and what you need, the power that you need going forward will not be found in trusting yourself, but will be found in your trusting God. The one who can help you is not you. The reason you're in the mess you're in is because of you. The reason we're in the trouble we're in is because of us. The reason our families are messed up is because of all of us. Y'all, because we are all sinners and we're all trying to do this thing our own way. But, but the thing is, the one that can help you is God, and that means that you must put your trust in him. But bitterness will be a barrier between you and trusting God and it will block you and you will not only distrust me and other people but you'll distrust God himself well, one author writes this he says we do not need to look over our shoulder it's a common necessary reflex in us all talking about distrust but we dare not take it to extremes Unmoderated mistrust leaves us isolated and alone. Pure distrust, distilled over time, shrivels us. Our lives turn in on ourselves. Our existence becomes unbearable. So what we're talking about is bitterness and distrust. And what we'll understand in a few moments is that distrust or mistrust will still have a place in our repertoire, but it must not be the theme song of our concert, if you will. So, take personal ownership. You got it? You got to own the fact that you've been, been betrayed. You've got to own up to the fact as well that you too are a betrayer and you've got to refuse to allow bitterness to become a barrier. And then secondly, embrace the power of humility. Humility is not about just being shy. Humility is not about just being reticent, reclusive. Humility is not about being self, just being self-deprecating or any of that sort of thing. But humility, if you want to know what humility looks like, look no further than the pages of Scripture. In Philippians, the second chapter, verses 5 through 9, this is what Paul writes to the Philippians. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he's saying Jesus had all this power and all of these prerogatives and all this preeminence, but he did not count all of that something to be clung to or held to tenaciously, but something that could be relinquished and released. He says this, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Say humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. This is called, and some, and, and some theologians refer to this as the kenosis because the term talks about he emptied himself. The Greek word kenosis is the base, basis of it, and it means that he emptied, he poured himself out. That was, that's what true humility is. It is an emptying of yourself. And despite Christ's high position with the Father, and despite our betrayal of him, huh? because what's behind the whole gospel message is this, that God sent Jesus into the world. He sent him as a sheep among wolves. He sent the sinless, guileless Lamb of God, Jesus, the Son of God, the Word who was with God eternally past and who was God. He sent him, he sent him into this, onto this planet in the midst of treacherous, betraying people like you and me. I hate to say it. I don't hate to say it. We just said own it. It was regular folks that betrayed Jesus. It was regular sinners that betrayed Jesus. And you say, well, I've never done, but we betrayed Jesus all the time. But he came among folks like you and me, despite our betrayal, and he gave himself to us. We sang it this morning. He gave his what? Everything. He emptied himself. He poured himself out into this human flesh, into this world, all the way unto death. And what happens is this, the ability, hear me, to respond to betrayal with love is beyond us in our humanity. You cannot do it. You cannot merely work it out. You can't merely think through it. The ability to respond to it in love is beyond us. Only by modeling our response after the pattern of the cross can we learn to trust it. So as we empty ourselves of ourselves, as we humble ourselves before the foot of the cross, we're enabled to see ourselves and to see others clearly. And we are empowered to, to overcome betrayal in others as well as in ourselves. And then finally, oh, Oh, I'm going. I always go. I, I start going backwards with this thing. I start pressing the wrong button because it's like some other remote. I'm trying to find a channel here. Okay, then three. Here we go. Implement practical steps. This is what we'll close with this morning. This will help us define what can we do. How can we? What steps can we take? How can we put this into practice? What can we do? First of all, here you go. Try, then trust. Now, we're jumping around a little bit, but this has to do with the whole process of trust in the face of having been betrayed in life. Because some people would tell you, well, you know what you just got to do? Some people would tell you that if you were humble, what you would just do is just let everybody walk over you. You see, this is why, uh, this is, that's not what humility is. But some people, just, just, you just got to tr trust everybody until they prove otherwise. No. Try. Then. Trust. There's a, there's a growth process in this. It's a skill that's learned and cultivated and developed and sharpened. But understand this. God does not expect us with regard to faith to leap into nothing. He does not expect us to, to take this leap into the abyss of faith. 
God would encourage us to crawl before we walk in, in, in relational settings and trust settings. To walk on the floor before we try to fly. To trust others in routine, relatively undemanding situations before we abandon ourselves to them in these great leaps of faith. That's why all the single ladies, all the single ladies, yeah, you can do that, because I'm, I'm talking to you. Try. I want you to hear my voice. I want you to remember Pastor Charles. When you're sitting in that car, when you're on that phone, when you're texting, when you're on that date, when, you, when he's running late, I want you to hear my words. Try, then trust. Because people say, you, oh, you know, come on, baby. This is me. I said, I know. Let me tell you something. I, some of you at my, at my mother-in-law's funeral, I talked about Ivory was cold-blooded. She, she was sweet as pie, but she, knew, she understood boundaries, and she kept boundaries between us for as long as she could. And my wife, had, my, Charlene was no pushover. She didn't like, it wasn't like the first time I looked her in those, 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 those beautiful brown eyes and, 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 and you know, looked at her kind of, and that she said, oh, it's Charles. <laughs> Brother man had to work for that love. Had to work for that relationship. I mean, I was, I was working hard as a teenager. And praying. Because there was a standard, and, and it, her nor her family, just because, and it was not just because what happened, just because he's a church boy, just because he's a musician, just because he claims to be a preacher. I remember Rowena's mother, Miss Belcher, when we were. We, they was to ride to school together, and there was some talk about me in the car one, one morning, and, and uh, she said something about, about me, Mrs. Belcher did, and, 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 and uh, Rowena said to her, she, they're, these are their teenage kids, and she said, well, Mom, Charles is a minister. She said, mm-hmm, them the worst ones. <laughs> and at this point in my life, sometimes I say, mm-hmm, them's the worst ones. Sometimes the brothers in the church, mm-hmm, them was the worst ones. No, the choir directors, the organists, the, 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 the preachers, the ones with the Bible, them was the worst ones. Listen, in life you learn to check people out, to give people space, to don't give yourself to everybody immediately. Don't, don't open your life to everybody the first time you talk to them. What does the Bible say about Jesus? Jesus did not commit himself to everybody because he knew what was in man and so he knew how to set boundaries. Jesus was not like, and, it's, and this is the challenge we face going forward in learning to love because love doesn't mean like, okay, I just met you. Here's the key to my house. Come over and eat whatever you want. Here's my, here's my, here's my bank card. Here's my checkbook. I, you know, I know you'll do good, honey. You're just setting people up to mess over you. You try, then trust. And we'll weave this back into the discussion as we go along, but God doesn't expect us to do otherwise. In this 1990 film, Entrapment, some of you remember it, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones' character uh, basically spoke this, this line. She said, first we try, then we trust. Often those who betray others feel entitled to immediate restoration of trust once their wrong has been exposed. First of all, there's some people that don't even know how to say, I'm sorry. 
But there are others that think that just because they got busted and so they say, oh, I'm sorry. My bad. It's all good. Let's just go back to the way things was. Well, thank you. You want to come on up here. You get what I'm saying? And so we'll learn. We will learn to trust. We will learn to trust again. We will learn to, to move beyond betrayal. We will learn to get over the past. But we will not do that by uncritically and unquestioningly opening our lives to everybody without boundaries and without first testing them. That is not an ungodly or anti-spiritual thing. Again, Jesus knew what was in people and was cautious, cautious and measured and very, very precise in how he related to people. So first we try, then we trust. God is not asking us to be that naive. Someone has wronged you. God understands that you need time to heal and God expects you to not open that trust and re-extend that trust to people who have broken that trust without giving them time to redevelop and recultivate and prove that they are now trustworthy because the bottom line is all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and some folks ain't, they ain't better yet. They ain't repented yet. They aren't right yet. Now, There is, so, so and I'm going to try to bring this to a close, but there is this, um, we'll, we'll, in learning to trust again, moving beyond betrayal, we will learn to hold in balance and intention, trust and a healthy mistrust. Trust and mistrust. It's kind of like, it's kind of like marmalade. Which is not, I was a strawberry jam guy coming up. But, but marmalade is interesting. Because marmalade is not just orange pulp and sugar. But marmalade, they ground up the rinds. Because it is this strange admixture of, 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 of bitter and acidic and sweet. That's the way life is. And that's the way trust is because the, the, the acidic and the, the bitter nitty-gritty is that we have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our trust. We have to protect our, our souls. We have to be critical and we have to, in the, in, the, in the positive sense of the word, if you know what I mean, we have to be realistic. We have to be honest. We have to be... In the words of scripture, wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. And that introduces an acidic note of bitterness. We don't, we wish we didn't have to be that way. We wish that all, that life was all goody, goody. Everything's wonderful. Praise the Lord. Oh, whatever. Come on to my house. Here's my car. Here's my, wear my clothes, whatever, you know. Meet somebody, you just wish that if you were dating their Christian, all that means that they're going to honor God, love me, respect me, that I didn't have to run a background check on them to see if they were a serial killer. But the, re- the bittersweet reality of life is that we, are, we have to make those challenges because we live in a fallen world and we are fallen people. But the sweetness is that by the grace of God, we can learn to trust 
those who have proven trustworthy and we can be liberated to then trust God and receive the grace and the love and the healing that comes from that trust relationship. And so you put those things together and so there's a kind of a, a sweet, a, there's kind of a, a, an acidic, bitter reality that is, that is mitigated and that, that is blended with this sweet re- reality of the grace of God and so you get this flavor and then as, as it cooks, because they, but they make this stuff, they have to cook it. They don't just ground it up and put it in some sugar. That's what you would probably do. But they had cook it, and, 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 and as it's cooked, the heat and the fire of that, of, of that process begins to bring out the flavor and bring out the sweetness. And in our lives, what happens is as we are, we are being cooked by the, the heat of life and by the situations and circumstances through which we go, and, and what happens is that we, we deal with the good, the bad, we deal with the bitter and the, and, and the, and the sweet, and we deal with, with, with the, the not-so-pleasant things and the, the wonderful things that God does in our lives. And in the midst of that there, it's not some sort of non-stop. I don't like this sweet stuff. But it's this complex flavor of life as it is in the kingdom of God in a fallen world until Jesus comes again. But life lived to the full because God is working in it and God takes the sweetness of his love and, and tempers the bitterness of reality in our lives and allows us to taste of full, the fullness of life. So there's a, there's, there's a case to be made for tr- trusting, learning to trust your own impressions, your own responses, your conclusions. You can't act or conduct yourself wisely without, I'm almost done. Some of you look, I just looked at the clock and I made myself self-conscious. <laughs> Take the clock now. You, you can't act wisely without healthy self-confidence, but it must be Balance your your self confidence and your 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 ability to to make those choices has to be balanced by a healthy distrust of yourself. Because if we trust ourselves excessively, we will under trust others. With let me I'm gonna get, let me get to the end here and and, and under trust God. Learning to find balance means learning more about ourselves and more about others. Because this is the other part of this. I mean, let me get through these. Trust in the counsel of others. Let me just run through it. Trust in the counsel of those who have tested God in the positive sense by trusting him, by stepping out in faith, and they found him trustworthy. Then they've moved on from that to trusting others. Do you hear me? Now, somebody says that this sign, a sign like this is, is at a barbecue joint in Comfort, Texas. I don't even know if I want to go to a place called Comfort, Texas. But he said, I've gone out to look for myself. Should I arrive before I return, please hold me until I get back. <laughs> now, what does that have to do with the sermon? Absolutely nothing. No, it's, it's just kind of a, a, a way of, of, of saying this. We are all in this continual search to find ourselves, but sometimes we are greatly aided by others who may find us before we've actually returned and help hold us till we've gotten back <laughs> you know what i mean often we ultimately find ourselves in the midst of community in the midst of relationship with others who who help to hold us until we've got back you know there's the folks that just stood with you and didn't give up on you till you came around and got it and, and, and got clear and there are others who've been the way we're going and they can tell us how to navigate the path ahead one of the about things you know i used to I used to fly airplanes. I can't afford it anymore. But uh, one of the things they do, there's these things called PIREPs, P-I-R-E-P. 
these are pilot, you know, they have acronyms for everything in the FAA, pilot weather reports. Because what happens is that, you know, airline pilots, private pilots, any kind of pilots, they fly in certain routes, certain places, certain courses, in certain areas, and, and this thing about weather and turbulence and all that stuff. And what will happen is you're encouraged as a pilot to, to radio. If you're going through and you hit some rain showers and you call, you call the flight service, they say, um, this blah, 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 blah. We, we just want to report we're over Fresno and we're, uh, we're getting some uh, light rain here and uh, visibility is about five miles and m- moderate turbulence. And they, they take note of that. And other pilots who are getting ready to go that way, they'll call up to the, they'll, they'll call the FAA and say, you got any pirate reps for Fresno? And say, oh, yeah, we got a Cessna 210 that reported a light chop at 10,000 feet and another Cessna, uh, you know, whatever. And, and you know what? That's kind of what the way life should work, that there are people that have gone ahead of us and been on the route and gone through the weather and weathered the storms, and they've, they've issued a report, and sometimes we need to sit down and listen and, help, and let them help us go that way. Right. One of the problems with being such a youth-oriented culture is that youth need the experience of those who've gone on before them. I gotta close, I know I do, I know I gotta go, but then finally let me just go to this, trust in the fact that despite our own untrustworthiness, Christ trusts us. And let me, let me show you what I'm talking about here. He said, how does Christ trust us? Listen, listen, listen. God allows me to pastor a church. You don't think Christ is extending trust to somebody? God allows y'all to sing in the worship team and some of you to be elders and, and ushers and lead in the kingdom, in the church of Jesus Christ. God extend, has given his, placed his son in, his, in our hearts. If God can trust us and God does extend his trust to us, if he can do that, can I not trust somebody else? Because it's like this, and I close, finally. John 15, 14, 15, Jesus says this, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Now understand this, in that audience Jesus is speaking to, there are people who have been unfaithful and who will greatly betray him. And yet he dares to step out in trust and call those people friends. Likewise, we have been betrayed, but we as well have betrayed others. And to some greater or lesser extent, somewhere along the line, we betray Jesus. But Jesus calls you and me, not merely servants, but he calls us friends. We are sons, daughters, children of God, brothers of Jesus. But Jesus in this context says, I don't call you servants, but you're friends. I trust you. I believe in you. I'm extending responsibility to you and you have the option and the possibility to fail and to deny me. But I still trust you. And so as I conclude this morning, this is God's challenge to us. Let his trust in you enable you with all your scars of betrayal. To begin your way back from betrayal by trusting him. Stand to your feet. All right. Bow your heads with me. Bow your heads with me. Hallelujah. Jesus, we love you. Oh God, this morning... Think about Adam. Think about Oedipus, who's a mythical character, but represents a, this, this universal thread of human experience. Think about Judas. I think about the Pharisees. Lord, I realize there's a little bit of 
of all of those in my heart at various times of my life. Lord, we have been betrayed and we betray others. But as I conclude this service today, I realize that there are some who have been, tra- been betrayed to significant degrees that have really shaped their destiny. And that was not your plan. There are those whose hearts have been closed off from you and others because of betrayal. And the enemy has thereby robbed them of the grace of God. There's a verse in Job that says those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And Lord, I I hear you saying to us today that those who cling to the betrayal of our past forfeit the grace in the present that otherwise is ours. And so, Lord, as I conclude this service right now, Holy Spirit, would you quicken our hearts to, to understand what it is you're saying to us in this moment? Would you, God, would you help us? Would you put us in touch I'm asking your mercy, Lord, and I don't mean to be be masochistic or harsh, but would you put us in touch with our betrayal enough so that we could own it and get real with it and get healed of it and move on? Would you enable us to dig it out of that deep place we have it buried and lay it on the altar today? Or even better yet, allow you to nail it to the cross. Lord, heal us today in the name of Jesus. Heal us from our brokenness, oh God. Heal us from our inability to trust because our trust has been abused. Heal us from those wounds that were inflicted upon us before we were even old enough or developed enough to understand what was going on, but yet they have followed us and they've left scars upon us. And as we've grown in life, those scars have grown with us. Father, help us. Break up the fallow ground of our hearts, those stony hearts, Lord, that those, 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 those hard hearts, Lord, would you just break it up that we become tender before you in Jesus' name. We want to find the way back from betrayal. We know that begins with, first of all, us acknowledging that that is a reality of human experience and that all of us have betrayed one way or the other. We thank you right now. I just, as we conclude, I pray your grace upon us, that you will apply this word. I pray that there would be no misapplication. There would be no, that the enemy would not sow lies into our minds, that there would be no spirit of confusion in the name of Jesus, but that, that, but that the spirit of God would give us clarity of thought and purpose moving forward, that we would be able to make 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 righteous and sensible decisions and choices as we move forward that we would find the pathway to complete and total healing we claim that in the name in the in the mighty matchless powerful strong name of our lord jesus that name above every name that name at which every knee must bow and every tongue confess we bless you and we praise you in jesus name and then we will Read, this is our benediction this morning. Are you ready? Here you go. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength 
to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.